Our reading today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 1 through 25. Luke 23, 1 through 25. Then the whole assembly, assembly arose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had wanted to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore... I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried, cried out, Away with us, man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. I failed. Let me tell you the story of my failure. Many years ago, probably close to 50 years ago now, I was uh, working in the Nassau County Medical Center, and I was a new believer. And a friend of mine, who I had made acquaintance there, uh, an older gentleman, a believer, he was going to retire, and uh, they were throwing a, a dinner party for him. And he came to me and he asked me if I would pray a blessing or the invocation upon the meal. Now, I had never prayed in public before. This was like a a big thing. And so so I said, yes, sure, Uh, I'd be happy to. And the day came and I stood uh, on the dais and uh, I looked out over the crowd that gathered and I started to pray. And as I was praying, I realized that in, in the the group there, we had many who were Jewish. 
And there were a few who were Hindu, and even a couple of Muslims. And as I was praying my prayer, God knows only what I was saying, because I was wrestling in my mind how to end the prayer. Should I just say, Amen? You know, in kind of a neutral, just leave it at that type of thing? Or, like I always do, should I say, in the name of Jesus? And that might risk offending some of these people. And so what was really only seconds, although it it seemed like minutes, I finally came to the end of my prayer. I said, Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with ending a prayer with Amen. However, when the Holy Spirit is prompting you to end the prayer in Jesus' name and you end it in Amen, you failed. I failed. Amen. <laughs> now, the Holy Spirit, really, at that moment, really slammed home and convicted me that I had made the wrong choice. And uh, I had put the crowd's feelings and what they might think ahead of my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Well, I repented, and uh, I, I vowed never to shy away from using the name of Jesus at the close of a prayer. And God, I know, graciously has forgiven me. All right? Um, but the incident sticks in my mind as a painful lesson that, that humbles me and points to me to, to recognize that I need God's grace every day. In Jesus' name. That's right. Pontius Pilate failed. We have just retold a portion of the story of his failure. His was a catastrophic failure which lives in infamy and of which we are perpetually reminded when the Apostles' Creed is recited or read with the words about Jesus. It says, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And in effect, those words were Pilate's answer to his own question, where at near the end of the trial of Jesus, he asked, what then shall I do with Jesus? Pilate rose the ranks as a soldier to the prefect or governor of Judea, largely through his friend uh, Sejanus. Sejanus was a close friend of the emperor Tiberius. And when Sejanus was appointed prefect of Rome, he gained a complete confidence of the emperor and used his influence to protect Pilate in Judea. And protected by Sejanus, Pilate incurred the enmity of the Jews in Roman-occupied Palestine by insulting their religious sensibilities as when he hung worship images of the emperor throughout Jerusalem and had coins bearing pagan religious symbols uh, minted. And Pilate was known to be very harsh and even at times cruel in his judgments. You recall back in Luke 13:1, it is recorded, Now there was some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. 
And the Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria, writing about 50 AD, castigated Pilate for his briberies, insults, robberies, outrages, and wanton injuries, executions of innocent people without trial, constantly, repeatedly, ceaselessly, and supremely grievous cruelty. And the locals of the day had had very little recourse but to send a complaint to Rome, but risking retaliation from Pilate. One thing the emperor wanted above all else in his empire was peace. Rome had a vast empire and could not afford to be putting out fires all over the empire. So Pilate was on notice. In 31 AD, Sejanus, his friend, died, leaving Pilate without his protector and made him especially vulnerable. It's perhaps with this background situation that we view Pilate in the trial of Jesus. He felt pressure now to behave well and to follow the dictates of the Roman law and not to punish an innocent man, or he would suffer the consequences. And yet, on the other hand, he feared a riot by the Jews and a disruption of the peace that would bring about his removal from office. So we see Pilate in the trial of Jesus being indecisive, unsure, and looking to find some sort of middle ground. The other Gospels contain a very large uh, amount of information about Jesus' trial, which I'll reference throughout our sermon today. Our account opens up. Then the whole assembly rose, let him off the pilot, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. And found this note very interesting in John's gospel, in chapter 18, 28. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. But now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? They wanted to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, and look what they're doing. They are committing the most defiling deed imaginable. And then notice that the leaders of the crowd that had previously accused Jesus of blasphemy for being the Son of God, they don't even mention that to Pilate. They knew Pilate could care less about the religious intricacies of the Jewish faith. So they changed the charges from religious to political ones. Subverting the nation, refusal to pay taxes, and finally claiming to be a king. And it was the last charge that caught Pilate's attention. Again, John provides further information, chapter, his gospel, chapter 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? 
Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate retorted. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Luke simply records those final words. I find no basis for a charge against him. And at this point, some of the people uh, mentioned that he is from Galilee. <clears throat> and on hearing this, Pilate determines to send him to Herod, who just happens to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, anyone who deals with government recognizes what's happening here. It's the pass off the problem to somebody else. Right? You ever go to a government agency? Right? They say, oh, here. Oh, yeah, then you need to go there. Right? And then it starts. And you get there, and then it's like, oh, no, you've got to go over there. And then you go around the horn, you end up back to the same person. Right? He says, oh, okay, I'll do it. You know, I'm... that's kind of what's happening here. Pilate sees maybe an out here, so he sends him over to, to Herod. This would solve his problem. On the law... One could be tried where he was accused or in the providence or under the official of that providence, wherever he might be. Herod Antipas here, the uh, son of Herod the Great. Herod Antipas beheaded John the Baptist and would later have the apostle James killed, was the tetrarch or the, the Jewish authority for that territory. And he happened to be there. So when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because he had uh, for a long time wanted to meet him. And from what he had heard, he, wanted to, he hoped to see a, a, him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. Herod had an interest in religious things, but as a curiosity only. Herod was viewing Jesus as some sort of entertainer that would perform some magic trick. But Jesus remained silent. Frustrated, Herod turns to mocking, dressing him as in a robe and then sends him back to Pilate. What shall I then do with Jesus? Herod's answer was to mock him. Having been returned to Pilate, he calls the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebel. I have examined him in your presence. Find no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent them back to me. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Pilate was hoping that a, a mild flogging would satisfy the bloodlust of the crowd and then he would be released. But the crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Now Barabbas was a criminal thrown in prison for insurrection and murder. And to further complicate things, just at this point, Matthew recall, records that Pilate's wife contacted him 
Matthew 27, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate is a very torn person here. We've just heard him declare a number of times Jesus' innocence. And now his wife is saying, don't have anything to do with that person, that innocent person. And yet he's got the mob outside screaming and yelling for his death. So Pilate tries to reason again, wanting to release Jesus. Pilate appeared to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he speaks, why? What crime has he committed? I found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. Now, Pilate has found Jesus innocent three or four times at this point. His last effort here is to to have him flogged and released. Then, as John recalls, the Jews made a charge to Pilate, which seems to have decided the course that Pilate would take. In John 19.12, it reads, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was a day of preparation of Passover. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. If word returned to Caesar, Tiberius, that Pilate supported another king, it would mean his death. And he already was standing on shaky ground with the emperor. What then shall I do with Jesus? Pilate's answer was to surrender him to the mob. By surrendering Jesus, Pilate passed judgment. Pilate released the criminal Barabbas and handed over Jesus to be executed. And when the mob asked themselves, what then shall I do with Jesus? The mob answer was, crucify him. Crucify him. What then shall I do with Jesus? Herod mocked him. Pilate surrendered him. The mob crucified him. Today, those responses kind of represent the unbelieving world's response. You know, today there are many who mock Jesus. They laugh at the thought of his life, his death, a resurrection, as some maybe ancient myth designed for old women and young children. They only mention his name as an expletive and they give no further thought to him. Even one thief on the cross, moments before he died, insulted Jesus. Much of the world 
preach Jesus that way. Then there are those who surrender Jesus. These people may accept much of the life of Jesus, even that he was innocent when executed. They might even be good church-going people, nicely fitting in with the crowd. But should life's circumstances press down upon them, and they have to make a choice, they give up on Jesus. Those people are much like the people we find in the parable of the soils. In Mark 4, 17, Jesus explains to his disciples, But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Such people are are more concerned with how people will see them and react to them than they are to remain loyal and profess Jesus. This is one of the biggest hurdles to people coming to faith and getting baptized. People are too concerned about what other people might, might think or say. And they feel embarrassed and fearful. What they should be thinking about is how God sees them and what God thinks about them in standing up for him in allegiance to Christ. Knowing Jesus was innocent and having the power to release him, Pilate was more concerned about his own welfare and the worries of this life. And he surrendered Jesus as many do today. And finally, there are those who would would crucify Jesus. Multitudes still hate Jesus. They often refuse to even accept that he was a historical person. They're not satisfied with their own hateful opinions, but must attack those who think differently about Jesus. Atheists and even famous atheists like Richard Dawkins and his book, The God Delusion, does that. Yet in all this darkness, there is a powerful illustration of the gospel. And it concerns Barabbas. Unknown to him or the crowds, the exchange of prisoners is the gospel unfolding. Barabbas is most definitely guilty of the worst crimes, while Jesus is perfectly innocent of any. Barabbas is justly to be executed while Jesus is unjustly sentenced to die. 
Barabbas in this exchange is liberated to life while Jesus is bound to death. Barabbas is given freedom Jesus deserves while Jesus bears the condemnation Barabbas deserves. It is a beautiful exchange and illustrates what really happens when uh, when Christ went to the cross as our substitute. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful verse. Do we really grasp what that is saying? That great and gracious exchange is owned through faith in Jesus Christ, the Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And how about you? How do you answer the question? What then shall I do with Jesus? You've never committed your life to Christ. The only life-saving answer is, I believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ and my Savior and my Lord and my God, and I confess, I repent, I will be baptized, and I will follow Him. That's what you need to do with Jesus. But for those who are believers, we recognize that we do not mock Jesus, but we praise Jesus. We do not surrender Jesus, but we proclaim Jesus. We do not call for to crucify him, but to crown him as our Lord and our King. For those of us who have Jesus as our Savior, We need to ask ourselves the question, though, what then shall I do with Jesus today? Not just some past experience of conversion, but what will I do with him today? Am I spending time with him today? Will I read his word today? Will I pray today? I remember reading a book, I forget the exact title, but the illustration stuck with me, as they say, as a shard of glass in my brain. And it tells about how Jesus wants a relationship with every believer, and that means every single day he wants time with you. And we think of it as, as Jesus going to the corner cafe outside and sitting down at a table for two and with the empty chair waiting for you and me. So very often no one shows. But he'll be back tomorrow. The day after. The day after that. Hoping that we show up. How much he loves us. So how do you answer the question? What then shall I do with Jesus? Or perhaps, what am I doing with Jesus? 
I trust that you are seeking to grow in your relationship with him each and every day. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, it's challenging. It challenges us today, Lord. Lord, we definitely thank you for the grace that you have showered upon us, that you have drawn us to the cross, and that through faith we are saved. But Lord, we recognize that that relationship continually needs to be cultivated and how easy it is for us to get distracted. Lord, we want to indeed grow in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do just that. Lord, help us to always make him a priority in our lives. Each and every day, help us, Lord, to praise, to proclaim, and to crown him king of our lives, today and forever. Lord, thank you for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.